Thank you for joining us again on The Breadline. I'm Matthew Hodges in Arlington, Texas, joined by my co-host, Anna Marco, in New York City, New York. Hi, Anna. Hey, what's going on? Not anything good, apparently. (laughs) Which is why we have brought on a guest for you. Uh, She's a writer on prison issues and food issues. Chandra Bazelko. Chandra, hi. Thank you for being with us. Hi. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, Anna, you were the one to uh, kind of identify this this issue and put this episode together. So why don't you take us through what the thing is that we're talking about today? Okay. So um, it's a government shutdown-related story, which is something that is going to end up affecting everything. It already is. Um, there were a rash of articles out talking about how um, prisons had been serving prisoners um, special holiday dinners during the shutdown while the um, the employees at the prisons were going without pay. And the problem with every single one of these articles is they... Well, there are many problems, but the, the first problem that jumps out, if you read any of them, is that this is 100% coming from the point of view of a pissed-off employee with absolutely no input from anybody who is imprisoned. Um, it's a completely one-sided story. They also totally, um, totally blew it as far as confidentiality and ethics goes by including texts from emails sent from prisoners, which is just, you know, a violation of privacy and also not legal. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of pushback on it. It, it was not, it was not good. And it was also not an accurate representation of the situation. Right. People who uh, follow food news may have seen some of these articles. The Washington Post one I thought was particularly egregious uh, because the, the art that they chose for the article was this, this beautiful, uh, like flat iron steak with melted butter on top of it and, you know, like perfectly made asparagus and stuff. And on, on that... fine china like you have in prison. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Chandra, you have special insight into this. Uh, could you tell the audience kind of what your experience is uh, with prison food and and why these articles are so problematic? Uh, I'd be happy to explain. Well, for to nutshell it, I could guess I could say that I both ate and prepared and unpacked, um, you know, food shipments that came into York Correctional Institution, which is the only state women's prison in Connecticut where I served more than six years. Uh, I came home in 2014, but a good portion of my time inside, I was a kitchen worker in various types of kitchens within the prison. But um, if anyone knows prison food, it's me. There's a prison food job out there, I had it while I was uh, incarcerated. So when I saw this article, I was really offended because first of all, I knew for a fact there was no steak. Um, They've actually backed off that statement and the uh, Corrections Officers Union has actually corrected it and said, no, it was in fact roast beef. And by roast beef, they mean really substandard sandwich meat. So it's not even like it was some type of prime rib or something like that. Um, And I think people just uh, called it steak. I think that we forgot when we were having these discussions about a prison population that we, you know, most of a prison population is impoverished. And a lot of times when they have new foods, they don't really know exactly what it is. And it's not to say that they didn't know it was meat, but maybe they thought it was steak when it was just some other type of meat. There's a very good chance that in the prison where this 
story was allegedly reported from that someone thought it was steak or something like steak, not having had steak before in his life. So that's like there's a classism and an elitism in this coverage, too, that I feel like no one's really kind of called out. Um, we've called out the inaccuracies and the other problems. But I mean, the the emails that are were supposedly the source of this story, the emails that um, inmates were sending out saying that they had been feasting on steak, they were probably either a joke or they were misinformed because they're not used to eating food really at all. Like it were, A lot of these people grew up on three meals of cereal, if at anything at all, every day. Yeah, and uh, one of these articles, I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but it was a quote from an email that was written in basically American African American vernacular English. It was like, you know, oh yeah, like this, we this was we really, live in large out really here or bad. something like that. You know, um, uh, so, I, I've, I've been eaten like a boss. Yeah, that's right. Which so is, that's that's so, the, the headline. Like, that's why would you do that? I mean, I know so, why you would some do nice, that. But. Some nice baked in racism to go with it too. Right. And there's well, there's also um, I think that sometimes I noticed this in the coverage of Paul Manafort's trial is that when um, people who are inside are kind of joking about the like abject, disgusting you know, nature of their surroundings, they might say I'm being treated well because they get to sit in a chair or they you know, I'm, the thing was, I'm you know, eating like a boss. That meant he actually got a meal that day. Like, they, I mean, I really feel like they're losing the fact that there might have been some sarcasm in there, too, mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. would only highlight how bad conditions in prison are. Um, I, I noticed that with the Paul Manafort thing because they said, oh, he was bragging that he was being treated well. He was, I'm sure he was joking. And the likelihood also that this person was joking, I, I'm not fully convinced that this wasn't a joke, too. Now, when we were talking before, uh, you, you, were, you had mentioned that uh, when somebody says you're getting a holiday meal in prison, that doesn't mean that they're bringing in special food. Is that right? No, it doesn't at all. Uh, oftentimes, it's just um, like a, the usual Sunday meal that's switched to the day uh, that the, hap the holiday happens to happen. So like this past Christmas happened on a Tuesday. So in where I was incarcerated, they would have taken the Sunday meal of the roast beef, which is the sandwich meat um, at, that's, you know, just dumped in a really poor quality gravy um, and served it to us on that day. So that wasn't really considered a special meal to the extent that it's different than what you would have expected on a Tuesday, which would have been hot dogs. Um, that's what they mean by special meal. Although there are times that they, Cisco, the food distribution giant, they tend to sell restaurant cast-offs, things that wouldn't meet restaurant quality. Um, they be, Rather than throw them out, they sell them in bulk to prisons at much reduced prices. So if you do get something that's really different, like say a piece of fried chicken or a chicken tender, it's because no restaurant would have paid for it. Um, so And they uh, facility got it for much cheaper than they would have gotten the regular food. So it, uh, the idea that these are special or sumptuous is just completely false. Right. Yeah, there was a, another one the, of the things. The monotony. Sorry, go ahead, Anna. No, sorry. I was just saying it's it's just a it's just a break in the monotony of having the same thing all the time. If it's something sure, yeah. Even one of the other even if it sucks, it's different. Right. One of the other food items that came up in these articles was Cornish game hen, which, yeah, that sounds pretty fancy. I mean, if you're, you know, going to the store and buying Cornish game hens and stuffing them and roasting them and doing all that stuff, it, it can be a pretty fancy meal. But uh, like you point out, the if there were Cornish game hens served, these were probably ones that uh, stores weren't going to sell anyway. They, they were the, on the, the lower end of quality. Quality or size. I mean, like, I think that, you know, Cornish game hens are like kind of considered smaller chickens. I know there's different, you know, 
types of birds. But um, I'm guessing that these were just even too small for a supermarket or a restaurant to use so that that wasn't some feast. It was literally probably like this little tiny weird chicken looking thing on people's trays that they were like, what, what is this? So, Anna, we've we've gone through the the problems with these articles. Uh, you found an article uh, that I thought summed this up really well. And I think it's important for more people to know the outlets who are responsible for this really shoddy reporting. Uh, do you want to talk about that article a little bit? And maybe we can do a little name and shame here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Adam H. Johnson wrote a piece that kind of just aggregated all these articles together and picked them apart um, piece by piece, which was tremendously helpful um, because there were, you know, there there's like four big ones that he posted in there. Um, so the biggest, the big, the big offenders are Kevin Johnson at USA Today with uh, the headline government shutdown, federal inmates feast on Cornish hens, stake as prison guards labor without pay where, you know, labor is doing a lot of work there. Um, right. The, we have uh, from NBC News, uh, Andrew Blankstein, Tammy Leitner, and Rich Shapiro have the headline, Hard to Digest. Inmates eat holiday steak during shutdown while prison workers go unpaid. Some Florida prisoners mocked the guards while feasting on a New Year's Day lunch. Jeez, it took three people to rate that tripe. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, every, like, the bias is just oozing out of every single, um, every single headline um we also have uh the the one that starts i've been eaten like a boss federal prisoners serve steak by unpaid guards during government shutdown uh that's the washington post by cleve r Woodson jr um i mean the washington post is a rag anyway yeah but, yeah but i think that one absolutely takes the racism prize uh, um, on this particular interesting issue. interesting fact i'm pretty sure he's the only sorry I wrote to that reporter and said, you know, this is wrong and biased. Would you like to talk to me? And he didn't answer. So I will also point out that he, as far as I know, is the only uh, black journalist we were listing, which is really like it's that sucks. Um, yikes. That's that's a yikes for me. That is a big yikes. Um, like, I didn't even know if I wanted to bring it up. But that's that just that especially now knowing that he didn't get back to you is that's dude, that's shitty. Um and then we, the last one is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution by Jared Leone of the Cox Media Group National Content Desk. Inmates eat steak while federal prison guards go unpaid, which is to, to the point, to the point, but also still not worded correctly. The real danger, I think, in this is not like it's inaccurate, but the inaccuracies are serving a narrative that there was a trade off between working families and their wages and people in prison who've allegedly committed crimes getting a decent meal. And that's the real danger for me is the idea that the reading public would get this idea that, oh, my God, if, uh, you know, these people, these hardworking guards have lost something and then the inmates gain something. So there's something wrong here. And it's definitely not like it's definitely not the guards or the government's fault. It's some weird liberal um, what what a lot of people call hug a thug policy, you know, anything that's kind of and any type of humanity or humane policy towards people who are incarcerated, that this is destroying America. And that's actually not the case at all. Not only is that just not happening, it wasn't a special meal, but even if it had been a special meal, this is that's not necessarily bad policy. It didn't cause the shutdown. It isn't causing our country spending to be out of whack. Like, it's just not the cause of our problems. Right. Anybody who listened to our, our multi-part episode on prison food knows that 
uh, as far as I mean, anybody who follows our show already knows that our incarceration system works as hard as it can to take away the humanity and the dignity of people who are incarcerated. We know that that does not lead to good outcomes in terms of rehabilitation or recidivism. Um, We've got this system set up in place that uh, people want this to be as mean as possible. So to, to frame this issue in a way that uh, like, look at what these people are getting away with. Um, just further serves to strip away their humanity, make them objects of ridicule and outrage instead of, I mean, everybody deserves to have something nice on a holiday. Uh, and this wasn't even nice. It was just different. Exactly. Exactly. And and that type of, um like, you know, penal populism, for lack of a better term, actually does really affect policy. So this isn't, I don't take these stories lightly. I mean, people are getting this idea, and I'm sure you'll hear it somewhere else in some either comments on another article about government spending or whatever, where someone says, don't you remember the time that they gave those steaks in the inmates steaks and lobster or something like that? It will it will resurrect itself as another reason why um, this population should be punished harsh, more harshly or get longer sentences or something like that. It, it does find its way into our um, our laws. Yeah, absolutely. And you see it um, in in other ways. Uh, also, I, I'm, I'm reminded of the the Ronald Reagan speech where he was talking about um, people on food stamps and talking about, you know, this big strapping lad going in and buying lobster with his with his food stamps. And they always use this as an excuse to uh, further reduce food benefits, to reduce um, welfare or any kind of social spending, uh, and especially when it comes to the prison population who are already so incredibly marginalized just to, to take away the, the last semblance of any kind of, of real healthy existence that they have. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just a big, it's just shitty. Like everything's going downhill. It's always, they're always going to point the finger and pull the rug out from under people and make sure that they have the approval to do it. What I find incredibly frustrating about this is, okay, the Washington the Washington Times is uh, just a terrible news outlet, but uh, other places like the Washington Post ran the story. Uh, I think there was a New York Times one. These are ostensibly liberal media outlets who, in order to make a point about the government shutdown and all of the bad things that Trump is doing, they end up pitting prison guards against prisoners. Like, we can only help one of these at a time. And when it comes to libs, obviously, you're going to throw the marginalized under the bus in order to make the point. It's it's this really disgusting. Um, it's incitement. Yeah, it's it's incitement. Uh, and it's also just it's it's this completely artificial uh, dichotomy that they've set up. Um, it's it's that that idea of, you know, like in, in 2018, the Democrats are going to have to are going to look themselves in the mirror and go, we're just going to have to get more racist. You know, it's, it's chasing, it's chasing exactly the same kind of sentiments that the GOP has, uh, that conservatives have for these, for marginalized people in order to, you know, be able to punch at what they think their real target is without thinking about what the, the collateral damage is. I mean, like austerity is a neoliberal policy and, it's usually just wrapped in a, a like nicer package. 
Yeah. And but also, I mean, I've learned something since we last talked, which is that um, just a few days before this story broke and before the holidays, and I think actually maybe it was around the time that the government shutdown started, a big report came out from the government assessing its own ability to discipline and uh, kind of manage its the uh, federal prison guards. And it was saying that there's no consequences for abuse of inmates or other misbehavior by guards. And I don't know if you've noticed, even after the food story, there have been a ton of media um, outlets reporting on these poor prison guards who work so hard. Now they have to, because I guess a lot of times they are not allowed to go home, they have to stick around um, because they're considered essential employees. So even if they're scheduled to have a shift off, if they're needed and someone else calls out, they get kept. Um, So like, there's a, a tremendous outpouring of sympathy in general in the past couple of weeks for this prison guard uh, core that we have working in the federal prisons during the shutdown. Um, And it's coming right after as a really well-timed correction to the fact that these guys get away with oftentimes murder. Like in New York, they've thrown people downstairs and killed them um, with the way that they've treated inmates. So I just like the food was just kind of like a cover, like, oh, this is what this is really about. But it's almost like a, a very well choreographed push to make to cover up for the bad deeds that these guys are doing any other day of the year like you know during a normal day where there's no shutdown they're really behaving really badly yeah sure and i I think that comes up in the the adam h johnson article too that not a single one of these articles mentioned that a lot of the quotes a lot of the information uh that these articles were based on were coming from the same group of uh of prison guards prison laborers Mm -hmm. who had just they'd either been was it were they censured or did they settle a massive lawsuit or about in prison abuses so you've got these liberal media outlets basically running pr and running interference for people who they they can't be trusted you can't trust these people like they they just got exposed as having widespread corruption and abuse in the system and now you're just going to take them at their word that like, woe is us, we're not getting paid, but look at the fancy food that these these inmates, these subhumans, as far as they're concerned, are getting instead. Yeah, that's um, one one consequence that, um, that I am wondering is intentional or not. I'm sure it is to a point with the shutdown, with prisons and with a lot of other things is it's just an excuse to privatize more and more, which leads to less oversight and more abuse in every single situation. Um, so it's, it's really, it's going to be horrible and interesting to see what ends up happening to the prison industrial complex when the government can't pay it. So what's our takeaway from this? Chandra, I'm sure that you have some ideas in terms of, um, to, to try to help this not happen again. What would you suggest in terms of reforms to, uh, the prison system, the way that we report on prisons, anything? Well, I think that there's a a larger problem that just kind of like, you know, happened to appear here again, but it happens repeatedly, is that a lot of times, well, for one, we don't have too many journalists who are formerly incarcerated. So, and I think there's a kind of almost a push against that. One, because there's discrimination against people with criminal records just in general. But second, I think that newspapers think that we can't be objective if we were to write about criminal justice or courtrooms or inside of prisons when I think it's the actually the opposite that's true because of our expertise and our experience we'd be able to see much more clearly what's really happening and who to believe and who not to believe or what to follow up on than these other reporters I mean 
I think I've said this before. I easily found, I write about the fact that I worked in the kitchen all the time. Um, I write about prison labor all the time. I write about food <laughs> in prison very often. So a real Google search would have revealed me pretty easily to any of these reporters and they could have easily sent me an email. Um, they found me just like you did. Um, and yeah, it took us, it took us about five minutes to find you. I think Anna just yeah. said, Hey, is there anybody out there who can speak on this issue? And somebody suggested your name and you got right back to us. It was, it was easy as anything. Yeah. Uh, so even like, and that's the sourcing though. So even if you're insisting, which I know from experience that they, the, a lot of news outlets do, they do, they will not even talk to me or other formerly incarcerated journalists about jobs. Um, and like I said, I can only chalk that up to the regular general, discrimination we face for having criminal records, but also because they think that we're really going to shake things up in a way that they don't want um, in reporting on prison issues. Um, so I like, and then the other thing is like this people's stories. It's important to talk to experts who've been inside, who can tell you this is what's really happening and this is what's not, but it's almost like there's an exploitation going on. Like our stories are only worth something when they feel that there's some value to it that they can exploit in a big headline. So just as a re regular fact checking, you know, source, like to call Chandra and ask her, is this what's really happening? They don't really value me like that. If they can exploit the stories of what happened to me in court or what happened to me in prison and stuff like that for um, a sympathy type piece, then they do that. And in many ways, that can be re-traumatizing for a lot of people who were in prison and went through bad stories. So there's like a lot of issues. It's, this is a packed issue of reporting on people in prison, marginalized people, is how you use them as sources, use their stories, tell their stories without also manipulating them and exploiting them. Right. And, uh, and, and it occurs to me also that uh, there, there's this bias where you know, they're assuming that anybody who was previously incarcerated is going to have a bone to pick, that they can't be objective about this. So instead, they talk to prison guards who also have uh, they, they also have their fingers in this pie. Right. I mean, they're not disinterested observers, but we treat them if, that way because they're the professional ones, not the not the incarcerated ones. If they had if they had talked to Chandra or even or anybody else who has been previously incarcerated that would have been a non-story there is no story without the bias um and and the other thing is also access so if i were inside and i heard about the story and i wanted to get in touch with you guys say say listen i can come on and or you know if i can arrange a phone thing um and I can come on and discuss this with you. It, that's almost impossible, right? Because I can only call people who are approved, like my family members. It costs an, a, an arm and a leg every phone call. So, like, the access to the media from people who are actively inside is next to nothing. Like, the, you can't, even if you tried really hard to get in touch with someone, that if the prison isn't willing to patch the message through to them and then get them to a phone, you're not going to be able to interview anybody. So, th this is what it, there's a self-perpetuating lack of transparency, um, and the media plays along with it. They, you know, like they, they just don't even really try um, to get through to people who could actually tell them what's happening inside. What do we think? Any more thoughts on that? Any other topics we need we need to hit? Um, I, maybe there's something about like the, the just the prison industrial complex when it comes to food. And remember that like there's still a, another market for people to make money. Um, leaving out the issue of prison labor or anything like that is that um, substandard food. The only real market for it is incarcerated people or the people who buy the food for incarcerated people. Like um, if you wouldn't pay for it in Applebee's, then why would it be served somewhere else? That doesn't necessarily mean it's inedible. I'm just saying there is always an angle to get in on the prison industrial complex and get some money from this. 
um, Cisco, you wouldn't think would have a, a game to play in it, but they do. Yeah, one thing that people may not be aware of, and I learned this uh, when I was working in the restaurant industry, that uh, you know when there's a big recall, say on romaine lettuce, there was one of those uh, just a few months ago because of a big E. coli outbreak. One of the main tools that the FDA has to identify where the tainted food is coming from is prison populations, because if like everybody at one prison all get sick, um, they they only use a couple of vendors. So it's way easier mm-hmm. to track the, the supply line uh, and then figure out where else all of that that lettuce has been shipped. So in a sense, we're using you know, prisoners as kind of our, our guinea pigs or our, our canaries in the coal mine uh, on, you know, tainted food and, and substandard food, substandard food processing, uh, which is just, that's, that's horrifying. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's going to get much worse. It's going to keep happening. Um, one of the consequences of the shutdown um, that people are starting to pick up on is the fact that nobody is being paid to inspect foods. Therefore, nobody is inspecting foods. Therefore, it is not going to be safe to eat a lot of things um, without cooking them. And I think that Cisco will know, oh, this batch of anything hasn't been um, inspected. So let's just sell it to a prison rather than just taking right, it out absolutely. of the, supp- the supply chain totally. Like in saying like this is potentially unsafe. I guarantee you there will be an uptick in um, foodborne illnesses and like maybe diarrhea or something like that in prisons, whether anyone's going to be watching out for it is another story. But like, I'm, I'm sure that all the substandard stuff that, that hasn't been examined because of the shutdown is going to end up behind bars. Well, it's a major failure of reporting. Um, honestly, shame on all of the outlets who decided to, to run these headlines. It's, it's just despicable. We will make sure to link Adam H. Johnson's article uh, in the show description. Um, go and check that out because he he does pull some uh, particularly bad quotes out of these articles. Uh, in the meantime, Chandra Bazelko, thank you so much for opening up about your experience and bringing your expertise to this. Um, I, I think that you're totally right that talking to people who have a firsthand account of this uh, wherever possible, is absolutely necessary if you're going to be reporting on prison food. We can do it, and we're a pretty small show. I don't understand why giant media outlets can't learn that lesson. I agree. I agree. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And for prison food is uh, my passion since I was you know, immersed in it for several years. Um, so whenever there's, especially if there's something false that I can come out and correct, the chance to do that is really invaluable to me. So thank you. Yeah, well, you're you're part of the family now. You're a you're, uh, you're one of the breadline comrades, so we will definitely be talking to you in the future. Um, in the meantime, where can people uh, find you online? Where, where can they find your work? Uh, you can find my blog, Prison Diaries, at prison-diaries.com. There's um, links there to see my other freelance writing um, that's in, in various newspapers and magazines throughout the country. You can also go to creators, C-R-E-A-T-O-R-S dot com. It's that's my syndicated column. Um, and I just actually wrote about this last Friday. Um, so it's my explanation of why this actually causes mass incarceration, these types of stories, because it gets people's like penchant for punishment all stoked up and they demand politicians and policies that lock mo- even more people up. And eventually it's going to get them because, you know, mass incarceration is still out of control in this country. Yeah. Outstanding. And you're on Twitter as well, right? I am under uh, at a prison diary, and then my last name, Sh- first name, last name, Chandra Bazelka. Okay, cool. 
Anna, thank you so much for doing the legwork on this, uh, finding us the guest, and uh, for for bringing this for bringing this issue up with us. Uh, you're online, also, yes. Extremely. Um, I'm at very hey. small Anna on Twitter and Instagram, and I wouldn't say it was a pleasure to put this together because I wish I didn't have to, but I'm very grateful that. Um, to you and to Chandra that we were able to to come and discuss this. Well, it's super important, so thank you again. Uh, I'm Matthew Hodges. Uh, I edit the show. I'm also on Twitter at MattTheGweight with a W. Uh, of course, you can find our show on Twitter at TheBreadlinePod. Uh, our theme music is done by Jane Stewart, who is tremendous, and you can find her work at InscrutableJane on Twitter. Um, thank you all for being with us. Uh, if you liked this episode, if you want to help us make sure that we can continue to bring on guests and get you uh, episodes like this one, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. We're uh, on Patreon at The Breadline. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Chandra. Thank you, Anna. And we will see you all next time. Bye.